Hey, ladies. Welcome to Be Your Own CEO Podcast, where developing your self-worth leads you to your calling. Hi, ladies. We are back at it with another episode of Be Your Own CEO. We are at episode eight. Oh my goodness. I cannot believe that I'm officially at episode eight and we are launching the month of September, which is back to school month. I am really glad that you are joining me today. Back to school month will consist of two guests on both of the episodes for the month of September. So I'm really glad that you are joining. I hope that you learn a little bit more about the work that we are doing as educators, but then also during this time, of course. So the guest that I have on today, her name is Jo Lane, and she has been in this work for several years. And she just recently started an organization called the Teaching and Leading Initiative of Oklahoma. She officially has her doctorate degree, and she's been in this work for several years. So I'm really honored to have her on as a guest, and I look forward to you getting to know her as well. But before I begin on that, I just wanted to share how I met her and then the work that she does, just just briefly. So I met her through the program Teach for America. So those of you who know from previous episodes, I just became a Teach for America alumni this past May. And my first year teaching, I had one of her teacher coaches in my classroom. So her teacher coaches through Teaching Leading Initiative of Oklahoma actually was my teacher coach the entire first year, second semester. And so the teacher coach that she had for me was incredible. So, so amazing. She was able to allow me to believe in myself more as an educator, even on my hardest days when it was hard for me to believe in myself. Any of y'all who know your first year teaching is a lot. It's a lot because you're learning so much more about you. You're learning so much more about the practice of teaching, learning more about how to teach, right? The, the strategies, um, all of the things. It's, it's a lot. <laughs> I'll be honest, right? But um, once you get through that first year, you feel like, okay, if I got through this first year and I had the support, this next year will absolutely be better. And it did. It did get better for me. And of course, like my second year did go a lot better than my first year. However, my first year teaching, when I had this teacher coach in my classroom, she really believed in me in moments I didn't believe in myself. And she was able to really change me from the inside out. And that's what propelled me even further into truly starting this work as a podcaster, but then also, you know, becoming a better educator for the students that I serve. And so Joe also in the summertime, she does TLI two-week trainings. And these are specifically focused on new educators, right? So your first or second year teaching. Her two-week training was rigorous, but it was very intentional on content and diving into instruction, the pedagogy, teaching practices, how to build one-on-one relationships with kids and you know, building relationships with families, how to connect with the families that you serve. It was a lot and it was incredible. And I know that it was because of that two-week training that I felt absolutely more confident into going in, into my second year teaching, which was awesome. I can't thank the, you know, the program enough for allowing me to go through that training and then also having that teacher coach my first year, second semester. Joy, I want you to go ahead and introduce yourself, tell everyone a little bit more about where you're from and what you do. So my name is Joe Lane. Uh, I'm originally from the suburbs of Chicago, hailing from Naperville, Illinois, uh, but have lived here in Tulsa now for over 10 years, moved here in 2010. I uh, have the title and privilege to lead a small team of really talented educators as the executive director of the Teaching and Leading Initiative. I'm also a mom of two and an avid backgammon player. 
That's awesome. Thank you for introducing where you're from. What did you do in college? Where did you go to college? If you could tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I went to the University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana. I studied psychology and speech communication. Uh, I actually got that major because I was a babysitter in, uh, before I left for college. And my uh, kids that I babysat said, you know, you really like people and you're really good at working with people. So you should probably study psychology because then you can understand people a lot more. Wow, that's cool. I studied psychology too. So (laughs) um, my minor was in psychology, my major was in sociology. Cool. So she went to University of Illinois. And then what are some other things that you do, some things that you love? So you're a mom, a mom of two kids, and you lived in Tulsa for 10 years. Um, What are some things that you you like doing, some hobbies? What's something um, that you love doing? Maybe it's like when you're off work or like on the weekend. And of course, we're going through a pandemic, so life has changed a little bit, but something that you love or something you care about too alongside your field. Um, actually, funny story. Um, when I was working for Teach for America uh, years ago, I had decided to give up overwork for Lent, right? Because I was working constantly. I was like, "All right, here we go. I'm I'm not going to work so much." And um, and then I looked around and really didn't realize how much work was driving everything for me. Um, I didn't know what I liked to do. Um, and so I tried art, not good at art. Guess what? I'm not an athlete. Um, so I had to find, like, what am I really good at? Well, I'm good at math. Mm. I'm good at people. Yeah. Um, I'm good at pretend play, which is what I do with my kids a lot, right? I'm good at those things. So I like don't need to pretend to be someone that I'm not. I don't need to pick up CrossFit or something crazy, right? Um, uh, but I now into rowing um there's a place called row house in south tulsa that is really awesome um i am also as i mentioned into backgammon which is just basically applied math um and i play with my kids a ton um my daughter is one of the most imaginative children there is and she's wicked smart when it comes to science and so we have a lot of fun playing you know universe and you know things like that so it's a lot of I, leaning more into my strengths as a person has really driven my hobbies and what I like to do. Wow, I really like that. When I think about leaning into who you are, but then putting that into your work, that goes really well with our conversation today, thinking about how when we lean more into ourselves, our most authentic selves with our strengths, things we love, our family, friendships, um, extracurricular things that we do, of course, um, getting into rowing and and then supporting your daughter who's super passionate about science. And this is a side note. I saw that Joe's daughter has a podcast and <laughs> she's going to be in first grade. Y'all, if you <laughs> are afraid of pursuing your dreams, remember that if a five-year-old can sit there for two minutes <laughs> and share some awesome, passionate things she's super inspired by with the universe, you can totally do anything you feel called to do. But that's awesome. So yeah, when you work on yourself, you're better able to pursue the things that you love with your career. So that's a really good transition for um, going into your work and the work that you do now. What you studied in in college with psychology, what did you do after college? And did you go back to school? Tell us all about those things. 
So after I graduated from college, I was like most and not really knowing the exact uh, path that I wanted to take. I was considering higher education because I was queen of the university. I mean, at one point I was working for the career center, the leadership center, the counseling center, housing. I mean, I was like Miss Higher Ed. So I knew that I could do that. Um, But uh, in college, I had learned a lot more about, um, and actually in high school as well, learned a lot more about educational inequity. Um, At one point, I actually went on a field trip in high school to the women's prison in Southern Illinois. It was, uh, couldn't help but notice the, the uh, racial demographics of that place. Uh, so was really interested in doing the real work of prevention rather than waiting until they, they're in college and the, the work is too late. So um, found Teach for America uh, ended up in the Phoenix Corps. So in 2007, I moved to Phoenix, sight unseen, uh, and taught middle school children there. Um, and when you're in the Phoenix Corps, you have to do something to pursue your certification. So I got my master's in elementary education at that point. Uh, and then when I moved to Tulsa to work for Teach for America, I started at OU, University of Oklahoma, uh, on their leadership track, realized it was stupid to get a second master's degree, transferred everything over to the doctorate. So it took me seven and a half years to finish my doctorate in curriculum and instruction and in education administration. Um, but it's done, and that feels good, mm-hmm. and I'm not going back to school again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Let's congratulate Jo for getting her doctorate. So her name is Dr. Jo Lane, which is a huge accomplishment. Super proud of you for that. And then also really proud of the fact that you you felt called to do Teach for America. You learned all about educational inequities, but then also larger inequities, whether um, it's outside of school, in the prison system, and all of that. Um, what are some other leadership roles you held within Teach for America? So you said that you are Teach for America alum in Phoenix. So what year did you do the core? And then also, what were some positions you had on staff? Yeah, so when I was in Phoenix, um, my third year of teaching, so I'm just going to give you some perspective here. My third year of teaching, I already kind of took a a major leadership role at our school. My uh, principal at the time was struggling in her leadership, and uh, I had a whole bunch of brand new teachers on my team. And so I asked her if I could take over all the professional development for the middle school because we were a a pre-K through eighth grade campus. Um, Kind of fell in love with the adult world, right? Working directly with with teachers. uh, And, you know, I'm a baby, right? I'm only in my third year of teaching and felt like I could contribute something to to other teachers. Um, And so I pursued a role with Teach for America, actually with the goal to go back home, uh, and glad I didn't, actually. <laughs> uh, and Teach for America Tulsa was only in its second year, 
going to be its second year. So the staff was growing from a staff of five to a staff of 11. And it was an exciting opportunity to grow something, grow an institution. You'll notice this as a pattern of my behavior is that I like to like create stuff. And so it just seemed like a perfect fit. Uh, it was closer to, for, to home for me and my husband, who's from Michigan. And uh, it was a great way for me to figure out what coaching and adult support really looked like. So at TFA, I was, uh, you know, on, on the coach side of things, I ended up being actually a turnaround coach that we didn't call me that because there was a stigma associated with working with me, um, but was primarily working in the struggle with core members who are really having a hard time. Uh, And so found methods to accelerate teacher growth really fast because we were often in really desperate situations to do so um, and got obsessed with coaching because I saw it happen. Um, So that's where I like landed on this coach world. Yeah. That's so cool. So she started off in Teach for America on staff in the coaching side of things. And when you're a core member, so I just finished the two-year commitment as a core member. When you're a core member in your first year, you're learning so, so much. So it's like your your brain's a sponge and you're learning how to do the job, what supports the families need, um, supports of, of course, like your grade level team, your school, learning about the community and all these things. And so I'm just curious, is just a quick, quick question, Joe. How many teachers did you have when you were coaching? My first year, I had 27 math and science teachers only, secondary Mm -hmm. math and science only. But when I moved into more of that first-year specialist role, Mm -hmm. um, more in that turnaround world, I ended up rotating schools every nine weeks. And so my ratio stayed really small. So I was only working with 10, 11 um, 12 maybe teachers at a time um, because we knew that there'd be more intensive time that would be required for folks who need to learn more of the technical skills. Mm. So I actually uh, trained to be a certified real-time coach through Center for Transformational Teacher Training, or CT3. Um, they had a partnership with TFA at the time, and that is when I really hit my coaching stride, right? Like mm. I learned how to coach effectively through CT3 and through that particular group, actually. I was actually feeling really um, almost disenfranchised from the Teach for America world. Didn't feel like I was could be uh, really authentic always. And then I met my real-time coach friends, and I was like, all right, there are people here that I can chill with, right? I can yeah. hang with y'all. And so, yeah, t- CT3, I, I highly recommend as like a really great way for coaches to cultivate their their skill. And then, of course, you you find your own as you as you go. Yeah, that's awesome. When Joe mentioned CT3, through the school district that I work in, we also have like an agreement. So there's like a um, coaching agreement that they actually come in. So CT3 coaches come in and they actually train you as well, like on the job. So what's really neat about CT3 coaching, and some educators don't like this, they actually put an earpiece in your ear and they coach you real time. So that's what real time coaching is, is like they have a um, the earpiece in your ear and then they, of course, like are in the back of the room and they can watch every little move that you do. Um, It could be a positive move. So it's like, great, I see how you're doing this well. Or it could be a quick fix. Um, And it's all centered around um, behavior and then um, also like the change of behavior. So it's three things. It's just basically the behavior management cycle. So, you know, giving effective directions, narration, correcting student behavior. So basic management moves. Yeah, and they're really brief. 
Um, they want it to be really clear, concise, and then they tell you quick fixes to make in the room. So CT3 coaching is great. Um, that's cool that you did that. I didn't know about that. Okay, so switching gears just a little bit. So we know a little bit about your background. You just got your doctorate, and that is incredible. Again, super awesome. And then how you worked for TFA staff for a bit. And then we're going to transition to a moment you truly felt like you're walking in your purpose in the sense of like within, whether it was in TFA as a core member, within TFA as a staff, when you felt like, wow, I'm really doing something I love, but I think that I could see myself doing something bigger. So um, I think of a, a very specific example of a, a teacher I was working with at a, at a school, a first grade teacher. She was brand new. And uh, when I walk in, walked into her classroom, it was, a, it was, it was rough, right? It was a and we were in a rough spot, and there was a, a student in particular who had a really, really rough time. Um, and uh, there's more to the story about this kid, but she was really convinced that this kid was no not um, going to survive in the traditional classroom. So she was wanting to send him to an alternative school, and the alternative school um, has a graduation rate of 0%. So this kid is six years old, and she's making the decision for this child's life as a first-year teacher. Um, and, of course, I shut that down real quick, uh, and we made a plan for how she was going to improve the class overall, and then um, and then this kid in particular, and put him on a, a behavior plan. And two days later, I came back, and it was like a different place. Um, and it was the that like moment of walking into that classroom and seeing kids actually learning and actually safe, and it was because of something I did with that teacher because she was the one who did the work, right? Um, that. I was like, this is magical. This is exactly what I should be doing is, is supporting classrooms in a way that, that that kid is not going to have his life written for him at six years old. Wow, that is really amazing that you saw within the work that you did with one teacher, the impact that it can make within one child's life, but then greater than that, many children's lives. In additionally, just being a coach with multiple teachers. So when you see yourself coaching with one teacher and you're like, wow, I feel like if I change this one kid's life, not only does it become worth it, it becomes worth it for the bigger picture to change multiple kids' lives. That is amazing. I'm, I'm just trying to like soak that all in. That's so cool. There's more to the story too. So a few years later, as I'm an assistant superintendent in a small rural district outside of Tulsa, I bring a group of principals to a school and to, to study their like STEM initiatives. So I was you know, not there for any uh, purpose related to instruction or coaching or anything like that, just looking at their STEM stuff. Yeah. Walk into a classroom and I see that kid. Um, okay. And this was like five, four or five years later looks exactly the same except we're much bigger mm-hmm. and I walk over to the teacher and I say like is that kid's name I won't say his name yeah. but like yeah and she said oh yeah I go how is he oh he's wonderful um come to find out that in his second grade year he struggled in his third grade year he struggled he ended up at um this school in particular mm-hmm. uh and it absolutely saved his life 
Um, That kid would have ended up in a really, really rough situation if he wasn't in a super structured, really intentional school. Yeah. And um, now my husband gets to teach him. So it's really, it's really cool. And he has no idea who I am at all. But like this kid changed a lot of things for me. Wow, that's amazing. And so now her husband gets to teach him. That's so amazing how things come full circle. In the education field, it's like a small world. (laughs) Truly, that's amazing. Such an incredible story. I feel like when I think back at my first and second year, you truly remember all the students that you have. Um, They are more than just a student for that one year or that second year, whatever you're teaching. They are a life and a future for you because you remember their stories and you remember the stories story that they have and the the future that they truly deserve and to work for that and to help them truly achieve all of those goals as a kid. So that's awesome. So cool. And then, um, yeah, so you, you felt like you're walking your purpose with this, this teacher and then helping this teacher with this particular student kind of like deeper than that. Let's think about just like between college. So graduating college, and this might be rewinding for a second, but between college and then starting TLI, when did you know you had to begin TLI? So my daughter, who's now going into first grade, was starting pre-K. And she was statistically more likely to receive a teacher with no training mm-hmm. than to receive a teacher with training, which is, as a parent, I was feeling really nervous about sending my precious baby to school I knew if I was feeling that, imagine the over 400,000 families that had a teacher with no training because we were having over 3,000 emergency certified teachers in the state. Um, I, as an assistant superintendent, I hired those people and they struggled mightily until they had some direct coaching. And so I looked around with like, Uh, my experience, how I was feeling as a parent, Mm. and what the overall statewide issues were and felt I had to. It was required. Wow, that's incredible. Taking initiative on something that you knew was bigger than yourself with your kid, but then knowing, wow, there's probably multiple parents and families that feel the same way I do. I couldn't imagine, I'm not a parent myself, but when you know that you're potentially um, putting your kid into a classroom where you know that the teacher could have little to no training, you would want to fix that. You would want to change that. And you'd also want to help the educators that do have that little training. So that also is the reason why TLI started somewhat. So yeah, we're actually going to jump into that right now. So what is TLI? How did it begin? Did you always dream of being an entrepreneur? So you can just tell us a little bit of how that story started. So actually, um, it was kind of a moment of weakness. Uh, so my, um, I finished my doctorate in 2017. Um, as I was leaving my defense, one of the um, my committee members um, said to me, "You can't let this die here." And I said, "Oh yeah, that's that's an interesting point. I just done seven and a half years of research and work on instructional coaching." yeah, I probably should do something with it, was like the first thought. Then my son was born, and I knew I uh, I, I started to have con- initial conversations with folks uh, during my maternity leave on, like, 
what my next steps might be. Um, I was working in a small rural district, as I mentioned. Um, I had promised my boss three years, and that three years was coming to a close, uh, and knew that I maybe wanted to go back more in, in an urban setting. And so I had met with a few people, Nikhil Kalra, who is the former uh, founder of Collegiate Hall Charter School, uh, had an idea that he pitched to me. Um, And he had basically said, like, you know, there's three ways to grow your impact in a charter school. You grow up, you grow down, or you grow out. You expand your model. And he believes fully that um, the... The whole purpose of a charter school is to innovate and spread practices. Um, so we had that kind of initial conversation. Uh, I was like, no one's going to pay for that. How are we going to fund that? Right? I was like kind of a naysayer about the whole situation. But he was like, I'll give you control. You make it happen. I'll, give you, I'll get you money. You, you build it. Um, so it was actually not my idea. Wow. <laughs> it was not. <laughs> yeah. Um, Wow, that's so cool. I had no idea until this moment that it wasn't actually your idea. But that's cool that you had a connection. So this is really neat. How networking in general, y'all, networking is amazing. But networking in general, of course, within the education field is so important. You, She would have never known that she had an opportunity to make an impact just in this new charter school if she didn't have this connection and know about how um, she could start it. So it sounds like, so you started coaching at Collegiate Hall. The idea was that uh, we would be able to take some of the training and coaching model that Collegiate Hall had and has and expand it to other districts. So started off pilot year in two districts, and it was literally just me for those first few months uh, until I brought Marissa King on, who's an angel sent from heaven, um, And um, but really quickly realized that 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 model doesn't work um, in all settings, um, mostly because we need to have not just strong teachers, but strong leaders. And so we shifted our approach to much more of a systems level improvement around human capital broadly. And so the vision morphed and um, and our our direction morphed really a lot to not just align with the needs and what we're seeing as challenges and all of those things, but also our team's strengths, um, which has, I think, catapulted us into a, a new phase of thinking about school improvement mm-hmm. in, a, in kind of a different way. That's really neat. So you had added Marissa onto the team. Was it Teaching and Lady Initiative at that point? Yes. TLI was um, basically one when Nikhil pitched this thing, he was like, here's some money, go. Um, so TLI's been mine from the start um, and really had a good basis with what Collegiate Hall had started and plus my experience with being an, a coach myself and the research that I had done as, in the doctorate work. It was basically the launch of Collegiate Hall meets doctorate meets Joe Lane <laughs> into a, you know, what is now, now TLI. Yeah. That's so cool. Wow. That's awesome. So you were in all of these other schools. What was the change from like, was it like a local thing that you were, you were really helping with like local schools, urban schools, or was it like, oh, we can reach out to these other schools across the state. Did it start more of like locally and then expand throughout the state? Like how did that networking begin? 
it, it was all networking. 100% of it was networking. Um, uh, in fact, in the school districts that we are in, it was only because I knew the people or knew the people who knew the people. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, honestly, and we have this discussion all the time on my team, I don't want to work in all schools. Um, I want to work in schools where, one, there's a need. Two, there's a a lack of talent in particular places, but a, a huge, huge potential to grow local talent. I mean, we have over 500 school districts in the state of Oklahoma. My, I have four people on my team. Like, there is no way that we, it is appropriate for us to continue in a school district for a long period of time, just coaching teachers in perpetuity. Like, that's not, that's not effective, right? We need to actually invest in local talent and some districts have a level of readiness that other districts do not, right? And if there's investment from either building level leaders or district level leaders where we know that the end goal is to build leader capacity, that's where I want to hang. But we're going to touch on that for a second, leader capacity. So yeah, you can be a teacher, you can be an educator, but also building up leaders. So you can build up leaders within any sector, of course, but within education, when you build up teacher leaders and then you build up principals into more of the leaders that they're truly called to be, but then supporting their staff is huge. That's super important. That's awesome. So the broader scheme of things, so there's 3,000 or over 3,000 emergency certified teachers. That doesn't include alternatively certified. Is that correct? Yeah. So myself included, I wouldn't be emergency certified. I would be alternative because I went through Teach for America. There's a lot of teachers who are either alternative and then emergency certified. So when you think about all of these teachers who who didn't go the traditional track, when they went, um, you know, in college and got a bachelor's degree, they didn't go, you know, for elementary ed or, you know, majored in a particular subject area. But um, when you think about all these different teachers and you think about the impact you can make on them, so new teachers, generally like first, second year, um, what impact do you want to make on Oklahoma schools like broad? Like when you think about like the schools that you work in, um, the schools that, you know, truly need it, they're hungry for that change. Yeah, I'm a big teacher advocate. Teachers, I don't know if Y'all know this. Teachers make schools work. So I have a couple of really specific goals. One is, um, along with my friends at the college, colleges of ed, I want an effective teacher in every classroom, right? I think we all want that goal. Unfortunately, three out of four new teachers don't have the, the backing of a high-quality college of ed experience. Three out of four. That's terrifying to me. Um, and so... I need to build an army of effective coaches everywhere. Like we have to have an army because we basically are trying to put four years of high quality teacher preparation on the job, which is really, really difficult to do. Mm -hmm. And so I want to make uh, coaching the thing, right? Yeah. That's, that's where the magic happens, right? No one learns how to be a teacher from sitting crappy PD, right? No one learns that. They learn by being in the classroom with yeah. children, understanding their own gaps, growing day by day to be better and better and better. And so I need an army of coaches to do that, which means principals, instructional coaches, mentor teachers, I don't care who they are, but they gotta, we've got to build capacity quickly. 
Wow. And Joe's really touching on the coaching part of this. So I learned what was really beneficial. And this is just like a side note, because I'm thinking from my own personal experience, the most beneficial part of being an educator was actually one-on-one coaching support. And I'm a huge advocate because I'm a product of the help of a, you know the support of one of her coaches in her program. But I'm also a product of Teach for America who has coaches in their program that allow us to be better, you know, be better educators. And literally they come in your classroom, they help you with all things. Something as simple of you know as responding to a student, having one-on-one conversations, y'all. You would never think about there's like a technique to everything in the classroom, and so I'm a product of that. And I truly believe that when we have coaches that support our teachers one-on-one, our teachers also are better educators because of that. Um, one-on-one support is really big in education because then we can sit there and we can ideate teacher to coach and say, hey, this is what I'm personally struggling with. They're not there to evaluate you. And like, it's not the same as like a principal coming in and doing your evaluation. They literally are only there to help you. They want to help the students. They want to make sure that you are the best educator you can be for yourself, for the kids, the families, and broader the community, of course. So that's so big. And I just had to say that because I personally love the fact that Teach for America pours into having MTLD, so it's manager of teacher leadership development, but then also uh, Joe's model too, having coaches on her team and going into schools and that one-on-one support. And again, yeah, real-time coaching is great as well, but also, you know, sometimes sitting down in your playing time and having someone who's in your corner and an advocate for you at the end of the day, that's really reassuring and it makes you feel like, hey, someone's on my side, someone believes in me, and someone also believes in the students that I'm serving. So I love the work that you do. I know that because of finishing the two-week training last summer, I was a better teacher this past year because of it. I was able to use a lot of the practices. So that's awesome. And I'm so glad that you were able to start this and it's growing. So has it been here for three years exactly? Official launch was 2018. Okay. So roughly two years, I guess. You have a passion for education and a niche for coaching and and truly walking in your calling. That also leads us, and I know this is a little bit later, the title of today's episode is Leaning Into Your Calling. If you feel a need to be in, um, you know, Teach for America and and be a core member and you are really passionate about educational equity and, and serving kids in schools that truly deserve teacher that cares, a teacher who's open to learning, who has a growth mindset, all of those things. Um, if you're passionate about that, go for that. You um, have all of you know the potential in the world. Of course, the one thing you truly need to do is, is build up your self-awareness, figure out what it is you truly love, discover your gifts and talents, and, and push yourself to achieve that. So we're going to transition to the closing here. What is like your favorite part about leading your team? Okay, I have the I have the most badass team there is. Um, uh, so I say this all the time. I hire people that are smarter than me because generally that's how organizations get better. There's a wonderful book. It's called Multipliers, oh. and it's uh, basically how all the best leaders make everyone in their organization smarter. And um, I think my favorite thing is discovering what strengths and talents my team has and how to best leverage those things and push our organizational mission forward. Um, that and like when pandemic hit, we all sat down and was like, what are we going to do? How are we going to respond to this? And I was able to make a call that was appropriate for my team. 
How many hours of work can you get done realistically in a day as moms? Three hours? Great. Do three hours then. Do excellent work in three hours, right? Because as a mom boss, right, and as a woman boss, I have an obligation to my team and to myself, right? Realistically, it was pandemic craziness with working at home with two small children was hard. Um, and I was putting undue pressure on myself and therefore my team. Um, so I, I do believe that my role is to facilitate people's strengths. I think that as a coach and I think that as a boss and I am just so gifted to have this just incredible team with me. Wow. That's awesome. Okay, the last question is, out of all the roles you juggle in life, how would you describe what it feels like to be a woman and live out your true calling? I'm going to answer this question in kind of a different way. So I have, as I'm sure many of us know, right, in education, there's sort of these interesting gender norm role things that are just bizarre. Uh, when I started working for this rural district, um, it was like, I was stepping into a sociology book. Like people were interpreting uh, leader behaviors from women as, a, you know, heartless and cold. When like we would say we would say the same thing about a man doing that, and it would be he's decisive and assertive, right? And I felt and continue to feel very, very passionate about pushing back around those particular stereotypes. But I also recognize when and I can and cannot show up given my particular identity. It is not my place to dictate what a community of color should do in particular situations as a white woman, right? I also know in particular spaces, I need a man to say the things for me sometimes, which is really frustrating as a person who knows all the answers. Uh, But that's why it's so important to have diverse perspectives, a diverse team, allies, friends, network, right? Like uh, it sucks sometimes to say, hey, you got to say the words that I wrote for you because it'll be received better from you. That's part of being a boss too, right? Knowing when it's not your role, right? Um, knowing when someone else should. And also like being okay doing some cool behind the scenes stuff because I don't need to get credit for doing good work, right? I just need good work to happen for kids and for families, right? Mm -hmm. I don't need to get credit for it. That's That's my ego talking. That's not what is ultimately best. And so it sometimes does suck a lot though because you just want to be like, I did that, not you, right? But I've, I've come to a, a better understanding that it is about the collective and not the individual. And if I'm, gonna, if I'm starting an organization and I'm doing this right, TLI will go on without me, right? That's the goal, is that it doesn't become a just Joe Lane and TLI, right? It becomes TLI as an entity, as an institution that eventually I can walk away from. Oh, creating a legacy bigger than yourself, Joe. I love it. Love it, love it, love it. So we are concluding today's episode on advice. 
advice for a woman who who wants to be the CEO of your, her life and what that means is like living out her true calling, um, discovering her gifts and talents, fulfilling all the things that she wants to do in her life or she feels called to do. Um, so advice for a woman who wants to be the CEO of her life or possibly an entrepreneur. So first, I think, number one, I love the core values of this podcast, this work, but know thyself and thyself be true, right? I... Early on in my career, I tried to play a part, right? This is what the culture of this group is like. I'm going to try and fit into that culture. And I quickly learned that I could not do that, right? I cuss a lot. Sorry, team. <laughs> um, I say what I think. Um, I, I tell you what I think even if you don't want to hear it, right? Mm-hmm. I can be exceptionally direct. I'm super forgiving, I trust everyone, and it that's can be my biggest no, weakness. Yeah, um, but like that's who I am, and I'm not going to apologize for it. And if the place that you are in doesn't let you be you, that's not the right place. Wow. Whether that's in a relationship or in a job or whatever, right? If the place that you're in doesn't let you be you, it's not the right place. I absolutely agree because when you know who you are and you're able to give that to an organization, they're able to support your strengths and your needs and vice versa. So awesome. Yeah. And it goes relationally. It goes career-wise. It goes with all the things that you do with your life. And then one more piece of advice too. So I feel like I'm a woman who's multi-passionate. And so I just had to throw this in there. So advice for someone who's like multi-passionate and who isn't sure how to juggle all of the roles that they play. Crap, that's me in a nutshell. In fact, you would ask my mom. I, um, as a child, I was like, hmm, I'm going to try scuba diving. Hmm, I'm going to try soccer. Hmm, I'm going to try volleyball. Um, yeah, and I am still kind of that way, right? I end up sort of chasing rabbit holes or like, this is kind of cool and shiny. Let me follow that. And my team in particular is like, stop chasing those things, right? I, and it sometimes it makes the vision less clear to the people that you're working with or to, you know, to yourself, right? Like what you should be spending your time on. I am a big believer in my it, my team when they listen to this will laugh at it. In frameworks. I love I love myself a framework. Um, and so I've been able to sort of like almost piece together a framework that if I'm multi-passionate, it still can fit, right? Like wow. Like I'm good at like numbers. So that includes backgammon. That includes like timing out my sessions that I'm designing. That includes and like if I add another math related hobby, <laughs> okay, right? Like that's cool. As long as it fits somewhere in the like framework of my life that I've chosen to build. So like build your framework. Maybe it'll like has some multi multi dimensions to it. Yeah. But like if it fits, great. Keep it. That's awesome. What's hilarious is when she was talking, I'm like, oh my goodness, you are you seem like the person who would have a planner, but then within the planner, it's like, okay, nine o'clock, I have to do this, 10 o'clock, 11. <laughs> and then is it like broken up by like half hour or is it by hour? <laughs> um, no, I'm not that detailed right now, in particular with the pandemic stuff, because I'm my my level of productivity has actually increased my creativity, which sounds weird, right? But like now I'm intentionally leaving blocks of time wide open so that I can just ideate since this is a great time to do that, right? 
So it used to be that level of detail. Now I'm, I'm realizing the value of downtime. I learned this actually while I was a uh, just recently back from maternity leave and you have to sit in your office and pump for, you know, 30 minutes. And like my effectiveness increased by sitting and forcing myself to sit for 30 minutes because I have to biologically. <laughs> and so I've tried to take that practice since my second kid. I didn't realize that my first time, but that's, it's a really powerful lesson. Just sit, like be okay. I am going to end on that note. <laughs> I, as I'm reflecting for myself, I feel like I do a lot of the ideating for this podcast and then like things I want to execute in the classroom when I'm able to sit, when I'm able to pause, when I'm reflecting, I'm evaluating and doing all the things that I know that I love, which is again, just, just sitting in silence, solitude and reflecting. When you're able to pause in moments that you're like, okay, I need some me time, I need this because of self-care, right? Self-care is huge as well, but because of self-care, I need to do this, do it. And, and within being a mom, and I'm, I'm sure Joe agrees too, but like within being a mom or whatever role that you play within your career or family relationships, whatever it may be, pause, sit in it, reflect, and you never know what creativity is going to to begin from all of that. Um, that's, that's really a really interesting way to, to think about your career, but relationships, creativity is going to be huge in all the work that we do within this pandemic, but then also moving further and the way we adjust all of our practices, our companies, and then, you know, greater than that, our relationships with other people because of all the changes we've endured. If you want to learn more about uh, the Teaching Lead Initiative of Oklahoma, you can go to tlioklahoma.org, learn more about their work. Again, thank you for joining me today, Joe. And I hope you all were able to get a good introduction on the month of September, which is like the back to school lunch and all the things about back to school for educators, but then also in the role of coaching. Thank you. That concludes today's episode on Leaning Into Your Calling. You may contact me at coachkatherineturek at gmail.com. Looking forward to hearing from you, ladies.